Hello, friends. How are you? Um, welcome along to another episode of one of my favourite things in the entire world, my podcast. Um, it's called Soundtrack. And for those of you who are new, welcome along. Um, and it allows me to indulge in two of my passions, film and music. And each week I speak to someone in the world of film, music, TV, about their relationship with music, um, both in terms of professionally be that they create it or they use it uh, and personally as well. So it's amazing how many stories kind of come up. And that's what I love about the show is that every episode is very unique to that individual or those people that feature on the show. And in the past six months, particularly, we've been very lucky that we've had quite a lot of double headers on the show in terms of we've had two guests. Those might be individually, but we've put them together in one episode or they might well be together. Um, doing the interview. So that's been a lovely thing to do. And we've got some fantastic guests coming up over the next few weeks that I'm very much looking forward to sharing with you. I have loved going back to the cinema. It's just been, and I know that not everybody feels comfortable with, you know, with, with the the close proximity to, to people. Obviously, though social distancing is still being adhered to. Um, but I, um, just last night, for example, I went to Picture House Central in London to watch the latest film from a friend of the show, Mr. Ben Wheatley, In the Earth. And I'm going to be chatting to Ben next week on the show about that film. Um, so I'm very much, I think that he might be, is it his fourth or his fifth visit back to the show? I mean, I love him for it. He was the first ever interview that we played out on the show, episode one. And as we approach five years... It feels only fitting. In fact, maybe that's what we should do for our fifth anniversary. Ben should be that episode. I'm going to look into that. Anyway, um, I love me back at the cinema. It's been so nice. So um, this week's film that we're going to talk about is a great example to try and encourage you, if you feel safe, to get back to the cinema because it will just give you a... Uh, an enriching experience if you go and watch this film, uh, Supernova. So our guests on this latest episode of Soundtracking are actor, writer and director. He's not a show off, but he can do many things. Uh, Harry McQueen and musician, the fabulous Keaton Henson, who makes his first foray into film scoring for Harry's, as I say, deeply moving road movie, Supernova. Now, it stars Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth. And it tells the story of a gay couple who travel to the Lake District after Stanley's character, Tusker, has been diagnosed with early onset dementia. And they take to the road in this, it's not clapped out, but it's a slightly kind of worn and tarnished um, motorhome that I think just kind of reflects so many things as well. And you're in this van with them, you're on this journey with them. And the music that's played on the radio and the conversations that they have and this journey that they go on, not just physically, but emotionally with regards to the situation that they find themselves on and the people that they visit, the friends that they revisit, the friends that they make along the way as well. It is an incredible film. And as you hear us talk as well, we know that Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are extraordinary actors but I just feel that this film has given them the opportunity to do something that we've not seen them do before. So there's my little sell for Supernova and what I loved about it. Now, given that um, he's a film score newbie, 
Keaton Henson, he is not a newbie when it comes to creating music. Oh my goodness, no. If you like what you hear in this um, episode with regards to his music and you're not familiar with Keaton's music, then please go and just search out all his wonderful, wonderful, wonderful creations. But he's done a fantastic job with this film and it's with one of his cues. That will begin. This is Stargazing. Keaton, thank you so much for joining me on on soundtrack. It's always so great when we can bring together the kind of two worlds, particularly Harry, since you you wrote and directed this beautiful film, and Keaton, your incredible character, really, that runs throughout this this film. Um, if you don't mind, Harry, I'm going to start with you because I am. Um, I got really emotional reading the um, the production notes um, about the film. I mean, I was incredibly emotional watching the film. I saw it quite a while ago and it was as powerful, if not more powerful, watching it again, to be honest. I just thought it was so beautifully written and played and the tone of it was just extraordinary. But reading the kind of research notes or the production notes and, and just getting a sense of of your journey towards making this film in terms of the people that you came across and the research that you you did as well. I just thought it was mm. so... Um, yeah, extraordinary that you, that that amount of work kind of went into it, but that kind of connection as well was there. I suppose that's not even a question. That was just a. <laughs> well, no, thank you very much. Yeah, I think um, I think that every film becomes in whatever way very personal, but this this certainly you know couldn't be more personal, really. And and part of that is because I spent such a long time with people who are living, uh, living with dementia in various forms and. Yeah, I mean, it's profoundly moving and really affects you, of course. And then you just hope you make a film that does this experience justice for those for those people. Really, you know, that's the ultimate goal of it. I think. So yeah, it, that was really the, um, the 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 driving force behind it. I mean, how many sort of different stages were there in terms of with the script specifically in working out how you would approach that subject and how these characters would experience it and the journey that they would take together going through this well I think firstly it like it, it was quite important that um I didn't I, I came into the world of dementia not wanting to make a film it, it just sort of happened quite organically through through meeting lots of people hanging out with them you know becoming really emotionally attached to them so I think that like really helps the the impetus to make a project um and I guess I guess what it really is is a I think, I mean, I didn't write a word for about two years, you know, after starting the research. I think what I tried to do was really just to immerse myself in it, to sort of be kind of like drenched in the world of dementia, I guess, and then hope that you can, I could make kind of organic, um, singular characters and tell a singular story out of all of that material rather than, um, you know, like basing it on anyone or whatever. Yeah. I think that's really important. So yeah, and then sticking, putting it on the road as well. Like I'm really interested in road movies anyway, yeah. as a sub genre. But also just wanting to tell a, 
you know an original story wanting to tell a, a a story like this in a different way so get taking it out of a domestic setting or at least having a kind of idiosyncratic domestic setting on the road on wheels um felt like quite a yeah quite an interesting um cinematically original thing to do yeah i even like i, I had sort of um uh motorhome envy as well i mean kind of <laughs> particularly particularly now where you just just want to hit the road and go somewhere and just you know experience yeah. new surroundings and and whatnot as as well but i just thought that was such a it's such a subtle thing but such a clever thing as well because obviously as well as them being on this you know they're, they're on an emotional journey but this physical journey that they're on as well i just thought it was it was a beautiful kind of compliment to it how did that affect the kind of the filming side of things. I mean, what were the kind of practicalities of that? Because it makes it almost kind of play-like in a way as well, in terms of, you know, this two-header. Yeah, I think the script sort of lends itself to that that quality anyway. But I think like what making a road movie is uh, is a lot of fun, but it's, it's really, really difficult because quite often or almost most of the time you have no control over the elements at all you know like you have no control over the roads often and and that like lends a real like unique freedom to it I think in for, for all of us making the film which I think is really exciting and fun but it is really challenging too you know like we chose to you know Colin was driving the van all the time well, pretty much all the time like we we shot in the camper van without kind of you know ripping it apart and putting it into a studio you know we everything like had to feel as organic and authentic as we possibly could and like I guess as effortless so yeah it, it was uh it's, it was a real challenge but um yeah it turned out all right I think <laughs> yeah it definitely did and um, one thing I just wanted to mention because I know that part of your research you spent a lot of time at UCL and I wondered yeah. if you'd come across a doctor called Dr Selena Ray at all uh, actually, I know. I don't think I did. I not don't know what I remember. No, she, um, she in the dementia department, right? Yeah, she do, she works in the kind of stem cell sort of um, uh, research side of it. And I just sorry to kind of indulge my own story in this slightly, just for a second. But I think this is why, particularly reading your notes, I found it so emotional. Is that um, my uncle had this brain degenerative um, form of dementia called PSP, and um, he deteriorated very, very quickly. And he had a sort of living will where he'd asked for his his brain to be donated to, you know, brain research. And so obviously UCL was was where it would it would end up, sort of thing. And about a month before he passed away, I was at a, an award show, which was kind of celebrating and rewarding extraordinary people like this. And this is where I met Dr. Selena Ray, and she uh, was rewarded for her amazing work into stem cell research and um, towards you know looking into dementia and then she invited me to her her lab and so i my uncle passed away and then i went to visit her in her lab anyway very long story short it transpires that my uncle's brain was a floor below her lab and that was where it was sent to and it just blew me away it was kind of like Wow, this is extraordinary, and um, and I really, I, my my kind of my breath. I sort of took a breath when I saw that you'd been to sort of UCL because the work that they do there is absolutely extraordinary, and 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 it should be just be commended about 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 how even through what we've all been through in the past eighteen months, they've they've continued to really sort of um, work so hard, you know, on, on trying to find cures and and all that kind of thing. So I just oh, I'm really to... care about your uncle, but I mean, yeah, it's. They're the most inspirational people. Those guys and that team, the Dementia Research Centre. There is is you know like as you'll know is like the cutting edge 
uh, one in the country, if not the world. Yeah. So yeah, they're just great, amazing people. Yeah. I just wanted to, you know, people are listening to this to, to kind of appreciate the work that that kind of goes on. And I think that, you know, this 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 film is so beautiful and it does so many things. I think and it tells so many stories within it. You know, we have that side of it. To, you know, this, this this character dealing with with the onset of dementia, but this beautiful love story that is just at the heart of it. These two wonderful men, and they're men that we obviously know. You know, these huge stars, Stanley Tucci and and Colin Firth and yet you kind of feel like you're almost watching them for the first time as well it's like it's there's such mm. a beautiful emotional energy that I've not seen either of them kind of um, have the opportunity to to explore really do you mind mm. just telling us a little bit about the casting and how how it came to be because I also saying that as well though I feel as well it's it's I've been lucky enough to interview Stanley a couple of times and I almost feel like this is almost the closest to Tucci the real Tucci we've seen in a role as well. There's, there's real Tucciism in in you know in, in in Tusca. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean it's always nice to work with um, unknown talent um, when you're making a film. Um, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> it was quite amazing the casting process really because essentially Shaheen Beg, the, the great casting director, and I talked about a few people and Stanley was someone we were really interested in approaching, and I didn't know that he was li- he lived in London. Mm. anyway we got the script to him and really quickly he came back to us like a week later and said I absolutely love this script and can I meet Harry and whatever so we met him and sort of hung out and got on really well and he kind of I mean he really sort of just sort of almost signed up on the day which was kind of amazing over you know over a pint or whatever and and then we we spoke about who he might be playing uh, opposite and I, I'd always really hoped to find two actors that knew each other for this because it's as you know like it's it's really challenging stuff but it's really intimate stuff and I think I'm an actor myself a bit and I think you know you, you know that you're it's very handy to have a shared trust with someone if you're working on stuff of this nature so we talked about a few people and he said um he said oh well I don't know whether you know this but I um my best mate's my best mate's Colin Firth so I could I could get the script to him if you want at which point I said, you know, obviously, have you, have you got any other friends? Anyway, so we spoke about Colin. And then I said, I mean, obviously, I, I, I would love that. You know, that would be incredible. And he said, oh, well, actually, I've already given him the script and he loves it and he wants to meet you. So it was kind of, um, yeah, a big stitch up in the end. But it's uh, it was <laughs> so, yeah, working with them was just incredible they're just lovely lovely guys and so trusting of um everyone around them certainly my vision and stuff and I think what they do in the film is I mean I would I'm of course uh biased but I think it's the best work of their careers pretty much and uh and what they do what they bring out of each other is so surprising and nuanced and you know and delicate and and raw it's just amazing I think there's that really funny line where they're at the very start of the film where they're in the in the van where um, Stanley says, how about exploring the outer regions of fifth gear? And it's just this, this it's there's the, the tone of it is just so, because there are these kind of this wonderful wave of kind of, you know, you laugh and you, uh, and you cry. And it's just, it's just beautifully, beautifully pitched. Um, when you were thinking about music, at what point were you considering score and 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 what point were you thinking about Keaton specifically? But then also, you know, there's there's quite a few needle drops 
sort of spread out through the film as well a couple of sort of you know diegetic things with the party and things like that I think we, I mean I was always really interested in, in getting a composer on board and, and seeing where that took the film I think like when you're working in a road trip genre it sort of leads itself to score I think and it certainly leads itself to needle drops and if you can get the like um the conversation between both of those things right I think that's a really like that's really smart and you know that the music links it, it sort of takes you on on a an oral journey as well as an emotional and a, and a literal one you know in a uh road trip setup but um I think yeah I, I I we were really keen to talk to people quite early on and then we worked with Sarah Bridge amazing um music supervisor and Keaton was one of the first people that she suggested and almost instantly well firstly I didn't know that Keaton was writing music like this at all he was doing composed stuff film stuff I mean this is his first film but I, I had such an emotional connection to his music anyway that like I was yeah I was really it sort of instantly felt like absolutely the right person for the job and then I, I heard six lethargies that he wrote and, and was performed at the Barbican and I knew nothing about it at all a few years before you know, we shot the film and it just blew me away. I thought it was just like the most heartbreaking, like authentic, personal stuff. And that felt, all of those things felt really, uh, you know, correct for this film. Your reaction, I guess, from I guess Harry sent you the script to to read and, and see if you connected with it or or saw something in terms of inspiration for you in it. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, I'm reluctant with regard to like film scores and stuff. I'm quite a selfish <laughs> artist and I'm quite a self-involved individual. And I think um, it's such a collaborative process that I'm always like very like wary of yeah those things. So. I mean, yeah, I've, I've done bits and bobs, but I, I've particularly, I've, I've predominantly worked in um, in dance in the past, like, just because I get to, then I just get to do loads of music and be all like, you know, centre stage. But yeah, just, I, I, but the idea of film, it's like very, very much, uh, you're, you're serving something. So um, yeah, but I, I don't know, I was in a, I was, I was losing my dad at the time that I got the script and I was writing a record about that. Not not from anything sort of touched on in the film, but like very much I was I was very much thinking about like about end of life mm. in all its forms, whether that means like you know whether we choose to go or, or or just generally like the idea of somebody sort of staring into the chasm and and what that does to your relationships and so I literally like I was sort of pondering all those things as the script arrived and um, 
I think I just thought it was really like um this is might surprise people that know my music but like I was drawn to how unmelodramatic it was it was very it was it lacked like melodrama and it had a it, it just felt like a really small human conversation about a very big thing yeah so I um I was sort of interested and then I met Harry and um decided to do it in spite of in spite of <laughs> Harry's personality um <laughs> but no I think yeah it, we we got on and, and I think he didn't sort of disappoint in that respect as in, in in that we were able to have a very human normal conversation about it yeah and I just yeah I thought I, I really like I, I love how small it is it feels microcosmic it doesn't feel it, there, there was a I think there, there probably was temptation to kind of go malik mm-hmm. and and like but there are vistas but it always feels like the vistas only like these sort of grand landscapes only sort of work to underscore how small the into personal yeah. relationship is and but yeah I, I think like you I I I I was like really getting ready to like slog my way through a very dark script and actually just thought like what what a beautiful love story yeah about two people who even just reading the script you're just like I love these people I really like I love that they're, they're together they found each other and I think that was the main the main draw really I think probably it's it, particularly on the the kind of um the journeys that they take you kind of you don't feel like you're watching the journey. You feel like you're there, kind of almost sort of eavesdropping, you know, on on this this um, you know, sat in the back seat sort of thing. But it's 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 interesting that we have this beautiful introduction at the fil- to the film through your music before we see anything. You know, it's not a very long piece of music, but within that, it's it's I guess that's such an important thing because it sets so much up in this piece of music before we. We know anyone, we see anyone, you know, if you're coming directly to, to this film blind with not knowing anything, this music is a, is your kind of, you know, your, your kind of doorway to it really. And, and I got such, I don't know, got this kind of gentle, tender, loving notion from it, but with a kind of reflective kind of um, feel to it. And then I, I love the kind of change in the build. And, and then at the very end where we, we sort of come into, to seeing something you know it's very slow in and the fingers and the way that the fingers almost tap along to the music yeah as it, as it kind of mm. oh it's, it's beautiful mm. that was a really annoying request was it okay <laughs> Had you shot everything then when when Keaton started writing music and or, or what where where were the two processes? Yeah, I think we'd shot everything before Keaton saw anything. I think that's how it happened. I mean, I, we spoke when we were up in production, but I'm pretty sure. Stop me if I'm wrong, Keaton. But I'm pretty sure we'd pretty much done. Hadn't picture locked, obviously, but we'd done. Um, you know, 
cobbled together some stuff before we showed it to Keaton, that's for sure. But it's sort of, I think like all, like all projects that you hope, you know, work in this way, one informs the other, you know, I think mm. like that really organic balance between the sound and vision is really what you want throughout the process. I think, you know, I think that that conversation between the two is vital. So I think it's sort of, we informed each other's choices a bit, I think. Yeah, I think so. What about in terms of the, the, the choices of, of what you would play? You know, how things would sound in the orchestration sort of side of it and what instrumentation you would have, I guess, is what I'm really interested in. Well, I think the main, the main conversation initially was, so there is a, obviously a pianist at the centre of the, of the film. So that's like, it's such an elephant in the room musically um so we we i guess the first hurdle is like how much piano how much are we reflecting that instrument in the score and i my instinct was to not um to either not or to exclusively use piano um yeah so we sort of t- it, there's a little bit in that opening um cue but my my the thing i am most comfortable with is is string technique and and working with lots of string players and stuff so I, I, essentially my main goal was that same microcosmic intimacy that, um, that I read in the script and I wanted I wanted to be able to hear fingertips on mm. on strings and I wanted to hear bows and, and, and musicians breathing and all those things that people get rid of in film scores. So that was the that was the first thing, and I think I know how to achieve that level of intimacy in string better than, than other instruments. So we worked with this. I, I also think I I don't know enough about film scores to be talking to you about them. Um, Considering this is your first and how good it is, yes, you do. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just don't. I, I think um, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know enough. I don't know the history, and I, I, I'm I'm glad. But I think that the. Uh, the thing I often find is that quite often a score will touch on something like really a sound that I love and then immediately like a few scenes later have that same sound and just like whack a choir on it and I'm just I'm just like oh we, we we're just establishing a sound a world that I was loving musically so I wanted to have a an ensemble and and stick with them and just sort of so we, we got 10 believe 10 players and um and and that was our lineup and i wrote the entire thing for just those 10 and we didn't add anything except that one bit of piano
so that was the main thing and then we focused on i worked with um fiona crookshank who is my engineering hero and she essentially for all of the focus was getting them in in this beautiful church but just getting microphones really really close and having them play really really quiet which musicians hate to do like that's their least favorite thing um but we yeah and we, we sort of focused on just having like really kind people and and people who are really excited and then we just um yeah just tried to capture mm. this really quiet breathy fingertip sound Imagine it's a. It's, it, it is. It's important to know where to put music, but it's also really important to know where not to. And and Harley, was it kind of really obvious to you? You know, whilst you were kind of putting the film together after you'd shot, in terms of where where music was was required and not. I think a bit of both. I mean, I think certainly, like again, with road movies, when you have driving sequences taking your characters or taking these characters from one place to another, that it feels like sometimes you the natural thing to do is to fill that with uh, with some sort of score. But I think I don't know. I mean, I think it's a very quiet film. Like all of that said, there are quite a few needle drops in it, and obviously Keaton's really present in it. But it, there's a lot of space and a lot of silence in it, and I think that actually you know is massively interesting to me as a filmmaker and I think certainly with a relationship like this that's intimate and fragile you know and delicate yeah I think it's sort of you have an idea and then you you know maybe it changes along the way but I think like in many ways the film one of the things that film is definitely about is about secrets and and subject subtext obviously and the kind of private battles that you fight every day when you're going through something like this so the necessity of communicating honestly and lucidly while you still can is really hard. And I don't think the characters do it often or not until, you know, perhaps like towards the end of the film. So I think what music does can do always is really eloquently say things that the characters are not allowed to or can't. And I think that's really what Keaton's work does. You know, I mean, one of the things it does so beautifully in this, you know, it's sort of, it's not forced ever, just as the film isn't. Like it, it's subtle and it's not manipulative, but it just amplifies what the characters are going through and it speaks for them when they can't. And I think that's quite devastating sometimes. And it is, you know, in this on occasion, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the conversation about not using music was something I, like I always, I, with this project and subsequent and other collaborative projects, like with regard to scoring things, I'm always, I spend the initial period just like scrubbing cues and just saying that we do not need music I think yeah in an idea if I not just because I'm lazy but if I could I would I would leave a whole film silent and just have one scene at the end like I think I always think especially when you're writing emotional music which is what I tend to do mm. sort of overtly emotional and unashamedly emotional music every time you use it you 
you do slightly chip away at the effectiveness of your key place where you really want it to hit so i think yeah we 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 and we decided like the that the best way to do that would be to focus on transitions and for me to take to score subtext on the journeys on the little like movements between until right and then i guess the end credits is when harry like really let me off my lead <laughs> Does Colin play piano? Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of amazing, really, because when I when we approached Colin and we spoke about it, and he was really up for it. Uh, we I talked quite early about the scene at the end and how I really didn't want to. I didn't want to fake it. Like it, I, I really, I'm just not a fan of that in films. It just feels so hokey when you're, you're cutting away from people because they're clearly it's not them. And he said, "Look, you know, I'm a. I used to be a grade five. I've got." you know, I sometimes ish play the piano. If we can find a piece together that fits, that's, you know, obviously right for the film, right for the scene, but also is something that maybe I can hash my way through. Maybe we can get it to work. And it's like testament to how incredible professional Colin is and how talented he is. He, he just like, just went away and learned it. And it it was actually someone else you've had on your podcast, the composer, um, Emily Levinas. Levinas, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She came in, um, which is really amazing for her and taught and sort of coached Colin for a bit. And um, yeah, and it was the last thing in the it, that we shot uh, in uh, making the film. And we just sort of did it in this beautiful theatre in the Lake District. And there was like 150 people in the audience or whatever, um, supporting artists. And Colin just, you know, walked on and you know, and did it live. Yeah. So so everything you see him play in that in the film is is him. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So how did you decide on what that's a lot of D's. How did you decide what piece he was going to play? Uh, well, it was a combination of the two, th- those two things, really. Like I, I put together a, a little list of things that I thought would work, and then we went a bit, we went back and forth a bit to see what he thought he could play, mm-hmm. and then it, it's happily one of the ones I really wanted, which is Salute the More, which is El- Elgar. He, he, he thought that yeah, that sort of fifty percent of it at least he could he could do. And then it it gets really quite complicated after that. So someone else came in, stepped in. But um but the, yeah, but you know the stuff that you see him on screen playing is him live and it's that's kind of amazing. Yeah.
And then there's that lovely moment as well at the end where he's in the, the living room on the piano yeah. as Stanley comes down. And it, it just beautifully kind of, you think, because you can kind of hear him sort of not plinky plonk in a way sort of thing, mm. but just, and, and I know, no, I, well, I didn't mean no. <laughs> and the nicest possible way, you know, he's kind of, he's not going for it. He's, he's, he's holding back and that in itself tells you so much about his character, I feel you know and, and Stanley says something about oh that sounds nice and then it it kind of seamlessly becomes a cue and it's just just and obviously then I don't want to give make any spoilers for anybody as well but the ending oh my. yeah Ooh. it's crazy right it's so crazy yeah it's but it's the most beautiful synergy of those two things of that of the way that that leads into that and the two of them in the window yeah. the tininess of his facial expressions like I, I think I think like like Harry saying I do feel that it is an like astoundingly career-defining performance but it's perhaps one of those performances that is so amazing because it's unremarkable it is it doesn't scream for it it's not screaming like look at me act it's just like but it is like the most I found that that last scene just in the smallness of what he's doing with his face is like devastating was that yeah. that that fully inspiring in terms of that piece then, Keaton? You know, in terms of that, I think so. I think I think I think more so probably with the uh, with with that piece. It's um, yeah, it was definitely I, I wanted. It was a lot of that subtext and trying to like say the things that were being unsaid. But I think with his, I think his performance, uh, Colin's performance specifically, uh, is I'm I feel like I'm very much answering that in the end credits music like I am um, I'm answering his performance but I'm also like musically answering a, a bit of Algar and but definitely like inspired to try and like it's just a hell of a thing to follow musically like that performance just feels like going on stage after Beethoven sort of thing <laughs> um so yeah basically another really annoying cue to have to uh... <laughs> yeah it's just really annoying yeah the whole music was the whole film was incredibly irritating <laughs> Formed the choices for the needle drops, Harry. You know, you've got that Donovan track in there, and you've got Bowie in there, and that beautiful little bit of rain by Karen Dalton. Karen Dalton, yeah, beautiful. So, oh, it's gorgeous. That if I should leave you, try to remember all the good times, long days. Just a little bit of rain Yeah, 
yeah thanks yeah um well a lot of things um i guess firstly we wanted to find some stuff that spoke a bit of the characters and their past and maybe have stuff in there that perhaps might be stuff they listened had listened to together as a couple at some point so they're kind of the songs are all of a certain you know era also stuff that we like and i like that felt natural for the um for the scene you don't often see karen dalton in films so there's that and also the the bowie the, the bowie track heroes is a bit of a nod to one of my favorite films um radio on chris pettit's film radio on and they um he couldn't afford the English version, so he had to do the, the German version, Helden. So I thought, well, actually, well, maybe we can afford it. So we, <laughs> we got the English version. And, and it was really difficult to get it and we were really lucky and same same with Tom Waits you know like actually it's, it's very difficult to get his stuff so it felt all of them just felt right and then it's peppered also especially at the party with some stuff from from my mates like Lila Foy and Dream Giant a couple of mates of mine musicians their music's in there at the party which is that which felt like a really lovely you know little touch so that's a nice yeah. thing to do yeah yeah it was it was good I think they're good. They're, they're good needle drops. I think they seem to suit suit the scenes. Yeah, I'm so glad that it's in cinemas. That must feel really special for you. I mean, obviously, it's been such a crazy time, you know. But for filmmakers, in terms of you know, is it isn't it? It's kind of been a bit like that, isn't it? But I'm so I'm so glad that it's it's in, it's in cinemas and people can go to the cinema to watch this because I think that yeah, I think I have an amazing time watching this in the big screen. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm really feel really lucky that it's happening now because we've tried a few times and it's not worked out. So, I think like every filmmaker will say that they, you know, want their films to be in cinemas. You know, mostly that's why we make films. But I think 
especially with stuff like this because you know it's the 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 human connection with the material and just the idea that people are having a communal experience going through it and learning from it and all of those things i think is like is particularly special with a film like this um i hope so yeah yeah really excited about it go and see it if you're listening <laughs> yeah, go and see it, definitely um listen brilliant to get to chat to you uh, about the film i think it's just absolutely gorgeous and i'm i'm so excited to see what you do next and also keen i hope it hasn't put you off doing film composing because i hope you do much more as well <laughs> yeah no no it hasn't it was it was remarkably uh it was harry was like remarkably fun to work with and understanding and stuff it's great massive congratulations to you both thank, thank you so much From the soundtrack to Supernova, that's Little Trip to Heaven by Tom Waits, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Harry McQueen and composer Keaton Henson. It's got just the right amount of score created by Keaton and those needle drops, as you just heard there from Tom Waits. And the great news is Keaton's score is going to be available, the original motion picture soundtrack. It's going to be available via our very good friends at Lakeshore Records, uh, from the 9th of July on beautiful vinyl. So I've already pre-ordered that. I hope if you're a fan of collecting um, vinyl and scores and soundtracks, then you will do the same. My huge thanks to both Harry and Keaton for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, as I said, Supernova is out in cinemas now and is a really beautiful piece of filmmaking. So if you are thinking of making that step back into the cinema, it's your first time back and you you kind of want to do it gently, then go and watch this film. Just go and watch it because it's a beautiful and, as I said, a really rewarding piece of filmmaking. So enjoy. Head to edithbowman.com to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my conversation with Stanley Tucci, who I absolutely adore. He's a wonderful human being. In fact, um, another thing that I can highly recommend that you search on the internet is this brilliant kind of um, parody or ode to Stanley Tucci that they did in a sketch for Saturday Night Live that Pete Davidson created called Tucci Time. So just go online and search for Tucci Time. That's quite hard to say. Um, and it will make you smile, I promise. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word on socials if you like what you hear. I think I'm actually going to pop up our conversation with Harry Keaton and myself on our Instagram TV. So make sure you check that out as well if you want to see them talk about this wonderful film, Supernova. Next up, now I love when we get the chance to speak to acting talent about how music is used for them, both in terms of the creation of characters, the preparation for roles, and also just on set. And we are very grateful and very excited to have someone on the show next week who has been a big supporter of this podcast since we launched almost five years ago. Within the first couple of weeks of us launching, Mr. Tom Hiddleston 
showed his support to his millions of supporters by enthusing about what we do on the show. So we are eternally grateful to him for his support and we are eternally grateful to the fact that Tom Hiddleston will be our guest on the show next week talking about many things including of course the fabulous series Loki which as we speak there are three episodes up and available to watch on Disney Plus if you haven't yet done it then ah what a ride so so good Um, so there we go Tom Hiddleston next week's guest on Soundtracking I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then (laughs) 